Best Book Boost podcast brings you Tracy Build, founder of Build and Curb and author of four books, her most recent bestseller book, which we'll deep dive into today, The Shortcut to Sales and Marketing Success, Work Smart, Not Hard, Work Less, Make More. Tracy, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. No worries. Now, amazing book, by the way. I finished reading it uh, last week. And yeah, powerful, straight line, understanding to the correct way to perform sales. A very powerful book. So congratulations. Thank um, you. I want you to take us back to the time in your life when you had $3 in the bank and you invested in Tony Robbins. Do you remember when that was? Oh my goodness. Yes. I actually, even before that, I cashed out a 401k plan. I was in college and I was a retail manager and I'd been working there a couple of years and I had like $5,000 in my 401k and I cashed it out, went to a seminar in Texas. That's where my passion started, you know, for following these gurus. And uh, yeah, like I literally in my early 20s would take every dime I had and invest it in myself. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> yeah, I was doing some reading and I seen that uh, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan myself. 20 years ago, I think I invested in um, unlimited power and, you know, the personal yes. personal power too. And I, that started me on my journey of personal development. And then uh, writing my first book and then reading, uh, you know, 500 books after that only because Tony Robbins. So anyway, I'm not a big fan of Tony these days, obviously, but 20 years ago, um, definitely. But yeah, take us back to your story of um, yeah yourself and how you got started uh, in your sort of early 20s and how your career uh, went in your 30s. And we'll, we'll jump into the book soon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's been quite a wild ride. So um, I basically have had a business since I was in college. Um, so I took me about 10 years to get through school because I always had a business. And my first business was actually a commercial janitorial company, and you can imagine the nightmare. It was a very male-dominated field. We had 60 employees. I was in college. I had no idea what things like payroll taxes were. I just knew how to sell. So we grew that company really big, and we were, like, servicing, like, uh, restaurants, car dealerships like Ford, Nissan, Chili's restaurants, and um, just a lot, a lot of medical centers. And that was my first entrepreneurial experience. And I will tell you, we sold that. I was partners with my mom. But I was the one doing all the sales, all the managing of employees. I, I was the young one, like, doing the work. But when we sold that, I swore I'd never, ever do anything again that I didn't love. And that's when I decided my real dream was to be a, a speaker. I wanted to motivate. I wanted to empower and educate. And I was going to do whatever it took. I gave the proceeds of my sale to my mom. I'm like, I don't even want this money. Like, I started waiting tables, and I'm like, I'm going to find my passion. And that's that's what I learned from that first business experience. And then where did that lead you on to next after you sold the uh, cleaning business? Well, I my brother talked me into going to, into the wonderful field of life insurance, and I was the only girl, no mentors. So I tapped a mentor about an hour away from me, and I started developing a sales system because I was failing. I was I couldn't succeed. So we started working together and I started developing the sales systems that are in this book at the time. This was a long time ago. And I started getting huge cases, you know, with high net worth individuals. And my general manager literally came to me and told me I was too new and too young to have these size cases. He took them from me and gave them to my mentor that wasn't mentoring me. And I was like, I am out of here. So I left and I started speaking anywhere anybody would listen to me. So I would go all over, like cold calling, financial investment firms, um, anybody who would listen to me talk about sales on their lunch break. They would come and I would speak and I had product, like a day planner I developed about income producing activity, and I would just sell that. Then I finally started getting referred 
finally, you know, my first speaking engagement, I remember I finally got paid $500 and then I realized I could monetize it. And, you know, one day I sold $90,000 at one speaking engagement. And it just, it just, it shows that when you, you have your passion and you take risk and you pursue it and you really believe you can do it, anything is possible. So, you know, that was over the course of many years. So I spoke and had my first training company for about five years and I developed that into a consulting firm because I got really burnt out traveling. I, I capped out my income. I couldn't take any more clients because I had no more time to give. And that's when I realized something has to change or I'm never going to get to a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's always fascinating um, hearing stories like yourself and going back and connecting the dots and can see how it can work. So cleaning business, um, life insurance, which is very hard, going into a sales system, then speaking and then creating like a planner, teaching sales and creating a, a training company selling $90,000 after a speaking event and then working consulting and then from there on in. Um, I know you told about the book um, about burnout the day that came where you transition from working full-time to become what they call a rebel entrepreneur. What is a rebel entrepreneur and what, what was that journey like for you transitioning from burning out to earning more money and, and working less? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I think we've learned this with COVID that people want work-life balance, men and women, whether you're a parent or a caregiver or just a single person wanting a better quality of life. Um, but at the time when I started my business, I had no kids. And then suddenly, you know, I was going to deliver a child and I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm traveling 20 days a month. I'm working 12 hour days. My husband's a pilot with Southwest Airlines. So he was traveling. So I literally decided that I was going to cut my week in half. I was going to work Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I bought a house for my mom two blocks away and she was going to have my kids on the days I worked because by the, you know, I eventually had two and this is what we did. And then I would take Monday, Wednesday, and the weekends off just to be a mom. So I always said I was kind of, I'm kind of like this full-time mom with a multi-million dollar business on the side. But then I panicked because I've worked, you know, I was like, I worked so hard. I don't want to go backwards. I'm a growth person. I love, I grow companies for a living. So I started investing. Like you just said, I, I hired coaches, trainers. I developed this new time management system. And I learned to do in literally 24 hours what I used to do in about 60 and then I realized I had to leverage myself and I had to take some risk, which was teaching other people to deliver my content, to go speak at my engagements instead of me, to coach my clients. So it was really scary. I'm not going to lie. Watching someone else speak in front of a room who wasn't polished and strong, but she became a guru and now I have like five of them. Um, but it worked. And I was able to quadruple my company in the first three years of doing that after being stuck at like half a million for like seven years. And I realized that I could work smart, not hard. I could work less and make more. And at the same time, give people incredible opportunity to do what I do and make great money. They're just, they're my employee, but they dream of a life like this, you know, getting paid to travel and speak and be experts at what they do. So now I have a team of 12 women who are just incredible guru consultants but they get to be moms. They get to have freedom, flexibility, work from home, and they're thought leaders in our in our industry. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, what a journey. Uh, what I got from that, some similarities. Me going from my full-time to my own full-time business was like 
telling people, oh, I want to have, um, you know, Good Friday and Easter Monday. And in Australia, we celebrate that. And people are like, it's not Easter. And I'm like, not for you because I want, I want to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, spend time with my family on Friday, weekends, and have that Monday off. So it's very hard, I think, someone mentally to go from 60 to 80 hours a week all the way down to 24 hours a week. And you have that guilt factor where it's like, I should be working now, even though I'm spending time in the relationship bucket with my family yeah. and friends. And I'm thinking about, oh, well, what's going on with my wealth bucket? Then I'm spending time in the health. And I'm like, you're just juggling those <laughs> things. So for me, the biggest number one step is that transition from someone working so hard. Um, yeah. One of the things I recently heard on a podcast with David Goggins, he talks about capping success. And they were talking about his daily routines and rituals. And he basically just said straight out, he said, you've got to cap success because you can't fit everything else in. And I think what a lot of people don't do is cap that success. And I think he did that early on, which was great. Obviously, having the kids becoming a mother, you really balance that out as well. The other thing we talk about, which was great, was uh, leveraging. Everyone needs to understand leveraging, teaching others instead of me, and licensing yourself, licensing your IP and getting other people to do the work for you as well. Um, so that's just a bit of summary of what, what I got from that, which was really, really great. I want you to share the story with me of writing your book over 11 years, and for 10 years your daughter asked when would the book be released, and you finally decided to let go and trust that it will happen if it's meant to be. Can you share that uh, story with me? Oh, boy. Well, I, I, I so I've written four books, and every time I write a book, I say I'm never, ever writing another book again. With You know, this book was just last year. By the time I birth it, I'm exhausted, and I literally just walk away. I mean, but it's like yeah. – it's in me and it has to come out. But my last book actually was um, called Get Your Girl Back prior to this. And it did take me 10 years. I literally wrote that book on airplanes. I mean, I wrote that book sitting in cafes in Paris and London when I would travel. And then I would put it away and I would say, no. I remember writing that book at my ski vacations and resort. It just haunted me. It wouldn't leave me alone. So, like, when when you have this nagging gift inside of you and a message, it, if you don't let it out, it's going to continue to haunt you. So, I, um, I my the book that took me the ten years was a very personal one. That's more about you know really understanding what's possible in your life. I'm a big believer in mindset and what's possible. I think you you referenced that in the beginning with Tony Robbins. And um, that book was really about understanding your power and having breakthroughs. So, yeah, um, my daughter has watched me birth all these companies pretty much. Like, I, we're launching a tech-enabled startup right now. We, we have so much going on. And she's in college, which is exciting because she's interning for me. And my greatest gift is teaching, you know, my hungry teenagers. And I find most teenagers want to learn this stuff, right, how, how to be successful and how to go after what they want. But yeah, not, none of these books. The shortcut was more of like a science to me. I didn't want to write it, but I realized you, you'd mentioned something earlier about the guilt of not working 60 hours. And what I realized when I was writing this book is that we go into business to have freedom, but then we become prisoners of our businesses. And we people work seven days a week. You know, they don't take a paycheck. So I'm all about the business has to work for you. You can't work for it, meaning you need to pay yourself, make more money every year, gain more freedom. So I, I feel like that's a big piece missing for many business owners and even salespeople. They should have more freedom and flexibility because they're in the sales world. Yeah, it's 
it's one of those things, isn't it? We, we build a business and then the business ends up consuming all of yeah. our life and we don't realize that it's for freedom. And then when we do take that freedom, we think, what about the business? And no one cares as much about our business or our life than what we do. Uh, but it is very interesting when you, when you're the, when you're the last buck and if you're yes. not working, no one else is working, you ought to keep moving it. Um, I think it's a good segue to jump into the book. So the book is basically the shortcut, uh, work smart, not hard, work less, make more fantastic book. And I like how it's basically the science of sales and marketing. So we'll jump right into it. Um, your chapter one, you talk about the shortcut to lead generation as well. Can you touch on, you know, how important is it from the start is, uh, without leads, you, you don't have a business. Uh, and, and what is the shortcut to lead generation? Yeah, I mean, the fastest way, and it's so counterintuitive to what people think, the, the, the natural mind is I've got to run ads, I have to do, you know, obviously need a good website, but it, it's like people want the easy button. Let me just spend money to generate leads. The problem is you can get lots of leads, lots of clicks and impressions, but if they're not converting to dollars, they don't matter. So I'm all about guerrilla marketing, right? How do we leverage relationships to get really great leads that close fast? And I had a referral, literally, like I probably look exhausted. I've been on a massive presentation all day today. I got a referral yesterday from a CEO. We're building out a massive three-year contract. It's a referral. The guy loves me because the person that referred me built the, the, the story for me first, right? So in lead generation, what I really teach is you need to build a circle of influence. So if you find yourself, you, you, you had a giant like table that had 10 seats and in your industry, you can invite any 10 people you wanted that were influencers, movers, shakers, people that your customers really respect and admire. If you could invite any of them to your table and they would start endorsing and referring you, who would be at your table? And I find usually people go for the low hanging fruit, like, oh, I can get to this person. I'm talking, who's the person you dream of getting in front of that when they say they can refer, they can refer a lead a day, right? Five a week. And then the goals you want, 10 of these people. So if they just referred one person to you a week, 10, that's 10 referred leads a week. They already trust you. You've been endorsed. You just have to do your job to sell. And it's proven these leads close four times faster. It doesn't cost yeah. you a dime. It's just leveraging your existing work and relationships with people you've already delivered for. So I yeah. just advise everyone to really think about their bubble, their circle of influence, who's at their table, and then how do you position it where it's a win-win, right? So what's in the best interest to their customers for them to come to you? What can you do for them and, and referring back? Um, and making it very reciprocal so it's a win-win and you're not begging them for leads and you're not networking. You're really sharing in the same customers and, and sharing quality referrals. Yeah, and I, I guess I, I second all of those things you said. It's also becoming valuable as well before, you know, going out and starting a, a business or asking for leads. You're going to have a great service, a great attitude as well, has something to give, always try to give more every day than you try to get back as yes. well. Um, yeah, I really, I really love that. And I second that. I, had, I used to work in the luxury automotive industry for a long, long time. And one of the things I drilled into you early on was, you know, once you get past that three-year gap, you start getting them back and you've got the repeats in your referrals. And after three, three to five years, you don't even have to get out of your seat because you've got so many repeats and referrals. And they, literally drain that in and you know one of the guys was there for 50 years he was 70 and he's was selling luxury automobiles for you know 50 years and he didn't get out of his seat only because of the repeat wow. referral it's crazy um getting back to real marketing you, you yeah. have a good point though that 
most people though, they don't, they're always looking for the new lead when the leads are right in front of you. So it's upselling and reselling your existing customers and asking for referrals into their friends who might need the same service or benefit for future reference, not always chasing the next sale. And that's just what you're referencing is building your book of business to work smarter. Correct. So what I'm trying to say, you don't even need to be a business owner to understand that this doesn't yeah. just work for business owners, consultants. You could be an employee and still have a great, you know, you're in the sales game. You can still yeah, make good absolutely. money by repeats and referrals as well. But it comes down to life too. So the circle of influence is not just with business. It's also with friends too. I've got one poster in my studio and someone sent it to me. It's called, Your Network is Your Net Worth. And I know everyone's heard that quote before, but I've got a massive poster of it and it, and it just works. And the more successful people I keep talking to, all they keep referring back to was the things that are going to change in your life is the people that you're going to meet and the people that you hang around as well. Make sure that your network and is your net worth and make sure your network is wealthier than you, smarter than you, yes. um, further, further out than you as well. You don't want to be the highest person on the tree. You want to be climbing that tree. Um, yeah. yeah, I really love it. So yeah, definitely it's short. Number one, a shortcut to lead generation, create your circle of influence, connect with purpose and make it about them not about you as well making each meeting count and connect with purpose yeah cool and us um can you discuss a little bit about asking for referrals like how would one go about the the right way to ask for yeah. referrals often i think a lot of people don't do this often they're a bit scared of it so what are some tips or hacks or some strategies yeah. that people can get out of their comfort zone and start asking for referrals yeah there's specific language that i advise people to use so you mentioned luxury cars right so yep. I have a Range Rover, right? So yep. my, you know, if I'm talking to someone, um, if I was in sales and, and I was coming to you, the adjectives to use and the wording to use is when you're closing a sale, you got a happy customer or someone's coming in for a service for that product and say, hey, you know, Jack, by the way, who else do you know that currently drives a Range Rover that's maybe getting a little bit old? Maybe they talked about getting a new model. Um, they're kind of eyeballing what's recently come out. Um, that I could just introduce myself to for future reference. So it's who do you know that, and then you add in the adjectives. So let's say I'm a wedding, um, an event planner. I, I run a resort, and I'm in Jamaica, and we do we sell large contracts for blocks of rooms and the wedding venue. And my bride and groom are leaving. They're happy for the best wedding, of, you know, hopefully they're alive. Um, and they would say, so, hey, I'm just curious before you guys go, who else do you know that's either engaged, planning a wedding, um, or that you think is going to be getting married soon, that I could just introduce myself to for future reference. It's very non-threatening. And people, what happens is when you ask to describe the adjectives, if I was selling life insurance, who do you know that has children, is married, maybe has a business, they have a high net worth, that um, you know maybe hasn't really thought seriously about you know end of life and the repercussions of not having proper planning. Just who do you know that I could just introduce myself to for future reference? So when you do those adjectives that describe your ideal customer, people start to categorize in their mind and think of names. And then what I've learned with this, and this is how I built all my businesses, um, when they say, oh, and by saying for future reference, it's very disarming. But once they give you one name, I coached a lot of salespeople who then would say, oh, great, thank you, and they run. You always want to say, and who else? Because once they give you a name, and who else? Anyone else come to mind? Literally, like you could walk away when they could have given you three, four referrals because you get so excited for the one. So you have to be patient and say, fantastic, who else? Because you really have to believe that you're going to make their wedding better or their 
help them feel peace of mind should something happen, like disability or death. You have to believe that this is going to impact these people's lives. So those adjectives and then future reference and then asking for more, not just running <laughs> with what you get. Absolutely. What I got from that as well is something that before that happens too is conviction. If you don't have conviction in your product, your service, yeah. or your sales story, you're not going to convince. So convincing comes from conviction. You can be conv uh, have conviction on anything, and you can um, you can let's um, transfer that to uh, convincing. But yeah, the four the four words was who do you know, and then the three words was who else. So who do you know, who do you know, or who else. Um, or and and, using your and descriptors. Yeah, using yeah, adjectives to describe your ideal client. Yep. Yeah. And I think people forget this in the in the game of referrals as well. But yeah, amazing stuff. Obviously, you, you highlight this in the book as well. Jumping on to the next part in the book, you talk about the shortcut to content. Uh, don't advertise to prospective buyers. Educate them instead. Can you expand on your shortcut to uh, content? Sure. I am so passionate about this because, you know... <laughs> So many people come to us that are spending 150000 a year, 150000 a month. I'm talking large companies. A small company might spend 5000 a month. And they're advertising too. If you want to build a brand with credibility and expertise, it's really important you educate. Because when you educate people, they become endeared to you. And they want to reciprocate because you've given them something of value. So I'm a big believer that in order to differentiate from all the noise, because we all have competition, you, you need to be willing to give your goods away. So whatever you're an expert in, give it all away. Teach them your knowledge. Share it with them. Give them, you know, the five steps to, you know, um, increasing sales by 20% in second quarter, right? And then give them really good, meaty content. Um, because what happens is, is they think, oh my gosh, like, this is incredible. And then they get into your lead funnel and they start to follow you. So I'm just a big believer that content is king in my healthcare consulting firm, my whole, for 20 years, I've given everything away. And I've had people say, How, you give so much away. Aren't you scared? People are going to like, just take your stuff and use it. I'm like, no, because I know they can't execute without us. And then when the time mm -hmm. comes, they're performance is bad enough and the financial losses are strong enough, I'm the first person that's going to come to their mind. And so we've never in 20 years advertised anything, yet we've, you know, we've had a phenomenal business for 20 years. And I really believe it's because I built such a loyal following through my content that I'm always first of mind and we're in a space of our own. Um, so, yeah. you know, whatever you do, become the expert and just start either blogging with videos or words if you like to write. But videos are good today. We're in this really short attention span, so one-minute videos. And um, anybody can do content. Yeah, a little bit to master, so I second that. So some of the things I got was brand, educate, value, give. And you start off with a brand. So, for example, Best Book Fits. It started um, 2007, came online in 2016, gave away 500 book summaries in video, written, and audio format, and then continued to educate and give value with, with no no upsell, no no funnel, no lead. I, I was literally just reading books, doing summaries, giving them away for free. And then, obviously, I had people to reach out. Now, my audience is, you would think, people that are watching my content, but no, my actual audience in business is based on authors, content creators, and publishers. 
but because I have such a, a great brand and I'm giving all my stuff away for free, that's actually helped me become an authority in the space in the book world. So it's interesting that it's interesting that if you continue to educate, build a brand, um, give value, and just give, 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 yes. other things are going to come out of it which you didn't know that were going to transpire as well. So definitely, even they talk about a content economy in 2023. Um, you know, market content, make your website work for you. The value of online reviews you talk about as well, and you go through the ten steps to. Um, uh, content through there as well. So not just making content, but, you know, telling stories as well. How important is it to um, not just create content, but tell stories and tell your origin story as well. What's the importance yeah. of that and being authentic in, in your content too. Yeah. I want to, I've learned over a long time of doing this, that my following, um, and, and again, I believe there's riches and niches and I'm in a very niche industry myself, but people feel like they know me because I always lead with a story. They've heard about my kids growing up, my husband who's a pilot, my mom who, you know, is a big part of our life. I always try to start my content with a great story. And it's going to be interesting with all this chat AI and all these new bots out there writing content. And that's going to be some of the difference you're going to see. Like the real writers are going to be connecting. And, you know, there's a lot of research out there. People never forget a story, but they will forget facts and figures and statistics. So, you know, if they can come to know you as a person with some vulnerabilities, it even endears them to you more. And it's always important in your content, though, that you have a call to action. So throughout my content, once I know I'm hooking them, then I build in kind of like different calls to action of what I want them to do, because the goal of content is, of course, SEO and to get people to click and opt in. So you want to think with strategy after you write your content, go back and put keywords in, your calls to action. So there, there's more of a formula. But the most important thing is to start getting consistent with your content and getting your following. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. Um, I like what you said about the, the AI thing. It is coming, but what it's going to do, the cream always rises to the top. So yeah. the people out there, like yourself and myself, who are genuine, authentic, have a voice, they're not going to be superseded by technology, but people are going to get... I think this is where brands are going to start separating as well. You need to have a face to the brand. You need to have a voice to the brand as well. You need a person behind a brand. You can't be a, a person-less brand. Where yeah. A lot of people try to scale these things because it, it doesn't really work. Anyway, moving on, you talk about the shortcut to PR, and a lot of people don't think about PR as well. Um, you talk about personalized story, but, yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, PR and why people uh, need to utilize it and how they can actually start utilizing good PR. Oh my gosh, PR is so fun. So I probably do PR differently than most people, but um, I don't like believe it. I, I guess some people just fax out or email out press releases with just kind of boring. Our company just promoted this person. Not that kind of PR, right? So I was just thinking, I was actually on Sunrise Australia when my last book came out. Um, and they, Mel and Koshi. Sorry? The, yeah, they were called Mel and Koshi, the oh. host. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, but um, the key to PR is that it can't be about you. So when you're starting PR, you have to think about the audience that you're trying to get in front of. So the journalists always need good stories. And today with content, they need nonstop stories. So they're always looking for something that would benefit their story. So whatever your product or service is, you want to also look at, say, the calendar. There's a holiday every day. There's something going on. Timing is really important to getting picked for a story. Something's very relevant to the viewers. 
and then being able to pitch what's in it for the reader. Um, and if you can do those, those very simple things and pitch a good story and make it about the reader, not about you, they'll definitely showcase you because they're going to put your website, right? They're going to put the name of your company, and then you're going to be able to use all of that PR, uh, the logos on your website and your signatures. If you're on the actual news, you can, you know, frame things, put it in your brick and mortar business. But for me, what PR has done, and for anyone, it gives you a lot of credibility. It gives you free exposure to massive leads. I mean, I've been on CBS Sunday morning news with 22 million viewers every weekend, the Today Show with, I'm sure they're at 20 million. Um, and, and the key thing is that you, you really have to be purposeful, intentional if you're going to do PR and consistent. So the first thing I do every morning is I get up and I do 30 minutes of scrolling through. There's a site that your people can go to called Help a Reporter Out. And it's, you opt in and you get the stories that journalists are looking for every day. And um, you can, if you follow their directions, pitch your story based exactly on what they're looking for. And I spend 30 minutes every morning doing this. And you know, I, I, I mean, I just got interviewed last week for a pretty awesome online national magazine. It hasn't hit yet. I got Google alerts on myself just so I can make sure I don't miss it. But you know, that's worth it. If I get one hit in a quarter and in a month, that's great. I can share it on social. I'm going to get their followers to follow me. And that's what you have to think about. The things I'm teaching, they take work, but they don't really cost anything. And when you get the hits and the referrals, they're extremely productive. And it's, it's about a higher state of performance, right? Um, and, and really validating your brand. And when a press endorses your brand or, you know, it's just a whole nother level that you're not going to get from advertising. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, and it's all about leveling up your business and yourself as well. So obviously you start off with uh, lead gen, which we touched on, and then you go through content. And then all of a sudden you go to, okay, I've got the lead gen, I've got the content, how do I elevate to the next level? And it's getting your name out there on a wider level and getting that credibility as well. So definitely PR. But it all comes back to the intention too. Without the intention to do this and, you know, scheduling in 30 minutes a day to scroll through, help a reporter out. Like, I didn't know about that website until reading the book, and I'll definitely take a look as well. But just, Yeah, you would do great on that. Yeah, I'd definitely love to uh, check that out. I've got a lot of clients I work with that definitely need PR. Um, the next one you talk about is shortcut discovery. So I think this is getting to the, the itty grits of the sales. So discovery, presentation, and closing. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit about the shortcut to discovery? Sure. I think most people that are in sales, and if you are a salesperson or you own a business, you have to always be thinking about revenue. That's the engine of any business. And um, people, a lot of times, hate to close sales, right? It's stressful. They don't want to ask for the check, especially if it's a six-figure check. But the reality is the close begins in discovery. So the more discovery you do up front, so being patient, I mean, just this morning, I was, like I mentioned, I was on a pretty big call. The first 30 minutes of the call, all I did was discovery. So it's 2023. Where are you going to be in 2025? Where do you want your company to be? What do you envision 
happening? How is your performance? Where's your revenue, right? So it's digging in, getting in their heads, creating a vision. When you ask people a lot of open-ended questions, which is rare for salespeople, they like to ask yes or no questions. Do you want to grow? Have you hit your goals this year? Well, you can't learn from that. You have to really get people to open up. And when I'm doing discovery and I'm teaching it, the goal is really to get them to think about what their problems are because we're in such a world, no one slows down enough. They know they have a problem, but they don't always know exactly what it is. So my goal is I'll spend 30, 45 minutes just extracting through question after question. But it's important that when you do this, you actively listen. So if I'm hearing them say, you know, that we're missing our sales goals and in that they're talking about how salespeople are inconsistent, then I, I might say, so what's your turnover like? Talk to me about your turnover. Oh, yeah, we're having a hard time teaching people. So let's talk about your culture. What is the culture within your organization? So it's, it's drilling in, peeling back the onion. But so many people that sell want to jump straight to that close. They get anxious. They're excited about their own product. So they, they, they try to just jump to a close fast. I found the more discovery you do, when it's relevant, you're not just doing it to do it, you gotta feel that you're connected to them, the larger your sale is gonna be. Because you can uncover more wants, needs, and desires, then it's like price is not even an issue. It's just how fast can I get this thing? So you gotta do the discovery and really listen and respond and continue to dig in. And I always say at least until you have three really, really good needs that you know in your gut, this is going to go to the next step. I'm going to close to the appointment or I'm going to close to the deposit, whatever you're trying to do. I personally like to even have like five or six needs because I'm selling a very large transaction and it's consulting. So it's not something people can touch or feel. So I had to really get them into a different mental state through my discovery. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are selling sizable things and they're not all tangible. And it's all about building the value. And the only way you can do that is to understand what's really at the heart of their problem. Yeah. And that's the open-ended questions. Yeah. And then what makes a salesperson different from another salesperson? It's not the answers or the product that they sell, neither the price. Sometimes it's about the questions that they ask because answers... We all have the same answers, but the questions are the ones that are unique. Even like being a podcaster and uh, being on podcasters, it's about asking the right question at the right time, you know, getting someone to think, like you said, think differently, but also say something differently as well and actually blurt out the needs or their real desires because as a client or a customer, they hold back all of that stuff with fear and they, and they want someone to understand them deeply yeah. first or empathy first and to get that and to get that emotional human connection is to ask them questions, you know, why you need it, uh, when do you need it, you know, how long you've been thinking about it, what are you thinking forward in the future? So they, these are all great as well. Some of the steps that uh, you wrote in the book that I got, and I'll just go through with some people, so you don't have to remember, is people by people, obtain permission to ask questions. I think a lot of people don't ask, hey, can, can we just five minutes, can I ask you a couple of questions so yeah. I can understand your needs a little bit more? And it could be a bit invasive if you just start going, you know, are you married? What's your last name? Well, you know, like, what do you do? You need to ask permission first. Create a series of open-ended questions. If you could mail three or five questions on every, like top of your head all the time, yeah. I think that would be enough if you're, if you're a novice or if you're not asking open-ended questions, just nail three or five. 
I'm curious, we are people at the end of the day, we all have a unique story, so get inside another person too, listen to what people say. So we like to talk, but the active listening part is massive. If you, if you don't hear what they say, it's a waste of time. Like you're actually wasting both your time as well. Always obtain two forms of contact. I like that one too. Uh, secure the next meeting and know your metrics as well. Yeah, so great work on that with the discovery system. Uh, moving on to the next one is presentation. How important is it with, with presentation and uh, what's your take on the shortcut to presentation? Yeah, I mean, presentation, if you've listened, like I can tell you're actively listening in the way that you pivot in our conversation, right? A lot of people in selling are thinking about the next question. They're nervous. They're not really listening. If you listen and you've really been able to get three, four good needs out, all you have to do in presentation is recap, right? So you're kind of recapping what you heard, you know, and I always like to transition based on what I heard you say, what's most important to you is this. Your biggest concern is this and your barrier is that, right? So you're recapping, I call that the Jerry Maguire moment because you'll see them going, they're like, yeah, oh my God, like somebody finally listened to me because people don't listen today. I'm like, man, if you listen you will be at the top of your game because people don't know how to listen. So when you're recapping, people will say to you, like, how did you know that? And you'll be like, well, because I listened. And they're like, wow, it just, it's crazy. So when you're listening, you recap in your presentation, then you tie your solution to what that need or want is. So it's specific. So um, also, don't be afraid to offer a larger package. So if you're thinking to yourself, wow, I should sell these five things instead of these two things, if you really have the needs on the table, go for it because you can justify. And if the value's there, they're more than likely going to proceed unless it's a price barrier. So presentation is really just you know, matching, um, I would say connecting the dots from what they want to what you heard so they understand the match and it makes sense. And, um, and then you're going to transition into close. So trans the, the, um, discovery is all about them. Presentation is a little bit about you now where you get to show off your product or service, but customize to their wants or needs. And then you're going to quickly pivot into a close. Yeah. And I think presentation as well also comes down to self-presentation. I mean, you yes. want to, you want to look the parts down the part, um, Unfortunately, salespeople, a customer has an invisible list where they're just waiting for you to just screw up and say, yep, she's a dickhead, he's an yep, idiot, yep. he's not listening, I'm never going to buy from him. And they've just got this invisible notepad out with a pen just waiting for you to stuff up. And we have to be on our A game all the time, attitude, presentation, listen, talk right, the great product, price, service yeah. offer, and go down the whole thing with the sales cycle too. So I think self-presentation is, uh, is key first. And then to recap what you said, and I'm not recapping what you said, but you're actually saying the book. Number one, uh, always open by recapping, which again, it helps you understand too. So the more you recap yourself, you can actually uh, remember it because our memory is not that good. What did he say? But if you, re if you recap it yourself, uh, present personalized options. I think that's that's a must. I like how you said, go for the higher thing if someone can afford it. And if you, if you listen to their needs, um, going back to me selling cars, you know, we judge people by their budget, but you know, some people can buy $400,000 cars, you know, $40,000 cars. Don't just try to present them the lowest option. Sometimes people spend that extra bit of money because they actually want something high in value and not something lower in value too. Um, give them cost choices. Again, this comes down to taking the objection away from price and say, you know what, it could be a weekly payment, monthly payment. Oh, okay, so you're dealing with contracts that are three three to five years, and I'm sure they're big contracts, and mm -hmm. it's not like 
pay me pay me half a million dollars for my um for my three year consulting tomorrow and I'll start right. working. You're probably like, hey, it's you know it's ten thousand dollars a month or whatever it is, but your right. return on that is going to be X, Y, and Z. So breaking breaking the cost down into uh, choices and then locking it in as well. So great stuff through there. Yeah, and you, you touched on it before. So shortcuts uh, to closing. Being an advisor, not a pleaser. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about closing. This is the one gap that separates salespeople from actually people that get paid. So you can call yeah. yourself a salesperson, but to really get paid, this is the one that you need to close as well. So can you expand a little bit about um, the shortcut yeah. to closing? Closing to me is like the best part of the whole sales process because it's where you get to change someone's life or make their life better. So um, once you are in the close, my process I teach that's very important is that you, so a lot of people get really nervous. So there's a transition from that needs identification and presentation now to a close. So I always say when you're, when you're ready to close, just say, so based on what you told me and just recap. So based on what you told me, it sounds like, and you're just going to recap the most important things that are, that stood out in that conversation. Cause you want to get them right in that shopper state of mind. They'll be like, yeah, yeah. Right. When you're recapping. So you're going to recap and then you're going to say the next step is, and this is so important. We do a lot of research and we evaluate buyer experiences. We record them, we score them. And the close is where most opportunities lost because they can do this great discovery and presentation. And then people say, well, okay, well, great. Just let me know when you're ready. And they lose the whole thing. And we're like, no. So, you know, it's really important to say, to recap, say the next step is um, I can answer any other questions for you, or if you'd like, I can go and take a credit card. We can lock in your apartment that you want to secure, or would you like to go back and take a look at those two apartments you like one more time, which works best for you? None of these is a no option. So you always usually want to give them a choice of two. Um, and the choice of two is um, if you're trying to book the next appointment. So the next step is we need to meet in person so I can um, review all of your documents, notarize them, get them signed. What works better? Are you available tomorrow afternoon or would tomorrow morning perhaps work best? It's I call it kind of sliding into home base if you're playing baseball. If they say tomorrow morning, great. Um, are you thinking 10 or 9? Nine. Fantastic. So make it easy. Don't say, well, what would work best for you? Because like, if you ask me that, I'm like, oh, God, I don't know. Just forget it. I'll call you later. So you mm. really want to make buying easy. And so you're always giving them the, the giving them the option. So, um, you know, selling cars. So I know you were in love with both of these Mercedes. I guess I just have to ask, is it going to be the convertible or the hard top? Which would you prefer? It's decision time. You know, right? Or if you'd like, we can go do a test drive on each of those one more time. So no matter what, I'm okay with whatever one of those choices they make. And then once you do the test drive, now it's okay. Which is it going to be, the hard top or the convertible? Right? Okay, we're going to go with the convertible. Fantastic. So all we need to do is go in, put a deposit down, sign the paperwork, and that car will be driven off the lot by you today. Right. So it's it's leading them to the next step with optional closes till there's no options left, but they're signing and closing. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing as well, you've got to make it natural. Like it's a natural, it's a yes. natural transaction. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have done it before. You know, it's just a, it's a process and then walking them through the micro commitments, like, as you said before. So becoming uh, very cool about it, it's a, it's a natural thing, giving them a couple of choices, micro commitments, but just generally letting them know the next steps through there as well, because people want to be led and people Thank want you. to buy. Um, I'll tell you this great experience. So I needed a TV and I went to go buy this TV 
and I did the research online. I found the right TV. I knew it was in that store. So I went to the store, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ex-sales person. When I say ex-sales person, I'm, I like to be a marketer now. But basically, I went to the store to buy it. And you know what men are like? Men with a plan, you know, yeah. cash. See it, found the TV, guy came over, he said, hey, how you going? He said, hey, I want to buy the TV. He goes, um, are you sure? And I went, uh, uh, maybe I'm, I said, maybe I'm not sure. I walked out the store and didn't buy. I walked out like seven seconds. I'm like, what an, I will never buy from him. I ended up going to another place, another store. I spent three times more because wow. I was a salesperson who basically and went off to buy. And I was, I felt so good about the purchase and I'm so glad I had a bad sales experience because he basically said, are you sure? And I was sure, like I was, but he put doubt and I was like, mm, maybe I'm not sure. And literally I walked into another place. He's like, you don't want that. This is the reason why that. He was sold with features, benefits, like knew everything. He was like, dang, you didn't listen. And it was just like such a great experience. And we forget that I was happy to spend more and I felt good about the purchase. And um, this is the getting back to closing. We just got to, okay, you want that? Great. Well, all we got to do is just go to the register. I'll get a ticket. I'll meet you there in two seconds. Whatever it is, just roll with, the, roll with, roll with the steps as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people put this hesitation on the close. Let, let a buyer close themselves. Um, let, let, let people buy. Don't, don't make it hard as well. So, yeah, great, great stuff through there. Uh, just a personal um, story that's always that. stuck with me as well, just because let people buy. Um, you talk about the shortcut to objections. So obviously, with closing, you're going to ask for the close. People are going to say no. What do you do? How do you handle it? What, what's your approach? Yeah. So most people will teach you to overcome objections, which I'm like, oh, come on. I can't remember all that stuff, right? Um, so we teach one tactic. And so when somebody objects, it's a little jolting, right? Nobody likes to be rejected and they actually feel bad. So all you have to say is, um, I understand. So this is your moment to take a breath. Like it's, it's, I, so if they might say, you know what, that's just too expensive. Or I'm going to look around. I understand. And then you say, do you mind if I just ask you a quick question? So if you're on the phone or you're in person, you might say before we leave or before we get off the phone, can I just ask you a quick question? They will say yes every time, like 99.9, because they're like, Ooh, okay, I felt bad, but this is good. I can, I can make her feel good now. And then what you're going to do is you have one more chance to close. And that's if you can really extract what's most important. So this question, you want to create two or three that are really good for your product or service. So, um, it might be, you know, of, of everything we've discussed over our last two meetings, I just wondered, you know, what really is going to be the deciding factor for you. So if it's the car and, and purchasing your car. And what it does is it forces them to really kind of hone in on what they're looking for. Why are they objecting? So they might say, you know what? I just, it might be something dumb. Like I always envisioned a silver one and you just don't have it and you're not going to have it for a year, right? So you're like, oh, okay. So either you can get it from another dealer or another place and close the sale, or it might, you know, be something else. So the, the goal is you want to ask something like, you know, what is going to be most important to you about this decision? Or I sense some hesitation. Can you share what's, what, what's on your mind? This isn't a little nerve wracking when you first learn it, but I will tell you it saves, it can save 50% of your lost sales otherwise, because I find pretty much every time someone will respond with something valuable, you got to really listen. And this is where this whole system is about, 
improving your communication. Like you can use this with your kids, your husband, wife, your partner, whatever. It's all about communication. So whatever they say, then you're going to respond with one last attempt to close. Um, so if I'm closing one of my consulting contracts to turn around a company's performance and they say, wow, that's just really expensive. I, I don't, I can't pay for that. And I'd say, I understand. Do you mind if I just ask you a quick question before we part ways today? Sure. So what's the impact on your organization if nothing changes and you're in the same position this time next year, right? They're going to say, we're screwed. We're, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Like our investors are going to pull out or so depending on what they say, whatever your customer says, you're really getting to the heart of what's wrong. Then you try to close one more time. So you repeat what they say and you go right back to your close. So based on what you're telling me, this is really non-negotiable. You need a solution. You need to turn your company's performance around. What I'd like to do because of this spend and your concern is I'd like to walk back through the proposal and look at what we can do to eliminate and remove some services or to figure out how we're going to fund this and get your company turned around. Um, so if you have a minute, we can do that now or we can jump back on the phone first thing tomorrow when you have 30, 40 minutes and we can really focus on this solution, what works best for mm -hmm. you. So you're going to, you got to use that bigger pain to try to close one more time. And yeah. again, you shouldn't be afraid if you're really listening and have a need. You're like, oh, now I'm even more motivated to close because this is serious. And then if they don't close, then you say, you know what, I understand. Hey, would it be okay if I followed up with you this time next week? Just touch base, you know, just to see if you've got a solution or, you know, just to stay in touch and see if I can be a resource. So you always want to at least establish, this isn't the end, but let's just stay in touch and when you're going to follow up. Yeah, well said. And I think a lot of companies don't embrace sales leakage. I mean, at the end of the day, if, you're, if your house was leaking water, you would call a plumber to come and, you know, fill yeah. that plumber. And so many businesses are leaking sales because they're not training their staff or embracing objections. You're going yeah. to get them. Let's say your closing ratio is 20%, your sales leakage is 80%. If you focused on what's going wrong in your business, which was sales leakage, and improved that by 10, 15, 20%, you're going to have a return on revenue through there. So we don't get trained, I think, as companies don't, well, some of the companies I've worked for, they don't embrace objections or they don't train sales staff to the point where objections are all about, you know, other things, but just embracing objections, know they're coming, be armed and ready to say quick things like, oh, I understand, quick question. Like even that is so simple, it's like a reflex, where as salespeople we get so scared and fearful, but just yeah. having those tools in your belt to know that the objections come in, I understand, no problem at all, can I ask you a quick question? No stress, okay. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> got, it, got it. Yeah, you taught me. Yeah, the issue of fear, don't be scared. When price comes up, get it. And then ask questions and rediscover and recover. Yeah. And then the last one you wrote was attempt to second close. The second close is the close. It might take a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, but you don't stop closing if you're not giving up on your sales story or your product or your service as well. Uh, I know we're running over time, so we'll just quick shortcut the next one, which is the biggest one of all. You is follow up. So follow up is is huge. Um, talk to me a little bit about follow up and how important it is that um, in the, in the sales cycle. Yes, talk about lost revenue. We do a lot of database. So if, you know, someone may use Salesforce, HubSpot, right? They have their CRM with all their leads, and we have a research division that goes in there and analyzes those database, and we mine it for gold. And we kind of look at where you know what is the makeup of that database, and it is the most underutilized 
fountain of youth or gold, I would say, what is it? The, the end of the rainbow. It's a pot of gold yeah, because yeah. there's so many leads that have not been followed up with. Most salespeople, unfortunately, are looking for the quick, easy sale. So the next person calling in or inquiring digitally via their website versus going, you know, advancing their current leads to the next step. And there's just so much lost opportunity. So with follow-up, it's really important that it's done with purpose and intention. No one wants to be harassed by a salesperson. I really advocate before you leave a conversation in person over the phone or email, however you're doing it, text, you always establish the next step. So at the end of my call today, okay, great. You know, the next step is I'm going to put together a proposal for you. We need to lock in our next time. We need an hour. What works best for you? Can you grab your calendar and we'll look at Thursday or Friday? Which do you prefer? So if you do all the locking in, and then when you do that presentation, let's say um, you, you try to close, uh, I'm going to send you the contract for signature. Um, as soon as you send that back, we'll start execution. And they say, well, we need to run it by a couple other decision makers. Fantastic. We'd like to be part of that conversation so we can understand their needs. How about we schedule a call for all of us to jump on what might work best? So you're, you're locking everything in before you part ways, which means it eliminates the need to kind of smile and dial and follow up later. If you're working smart, you shouldn't have to like get in your database and start cold calling because you've locked everything into the next step and you're going to keep doing that until it closes. Now, there's always going to be leads that need worked and nurtured and all of that. And you're always going to probably have to do um, follow up depending on what you're selling. So um, I teach some pretty cool systems of how to get five yeses in under a minute and put people in a positive state of mind um, in the follow-up chapter. Um, but I, I, I know we're limited to time, but, you know, if, if someone has call reluctance and fear of the telephone, they need a system that creates success and eliminates that fear because you can't sell without follow-up. You're going to reach half your success capacity if you're not following up on previous leads. Yeah, and one thing you spoke about there, which um, not just the system, you need a script, especially on telephone. A lot of people just pick up the phone and wing it. If you have a script and a system, it's just a numbers game at the end of the day. Yes. One short story with, with follow-up, I was um, back in that eight years ago when I was selling cars. I was the number one in the country only because of a couple of facts. Not only I was hungry, I was sending out 100 letters a day to previous clients. I was putting letters in service customers' cars. I was literally marketing myself, but also genuinely doing things that 99 of the 99% of the other sales stuff weren't. And that gave me that extra, you know, five sales a month, which, you know, capped through there. So you talk about Salesforce and HubSpot, your CRM system, how many, uh, I get, I get excited about data. The, the amount of data that's sitting on companies that's not doing anything with them, you could call an old client and have a conversation with them and then even ask, this is going to recap the actual um, summary. Who do you know that? And then, um, and who else? Like, honestly, it's, it's a crazy thing. But Tracy, yeah, thank you for, um, for writing the book first and uh, doing everything that you've done as well and teaching people this stuff. So to my audience out there, an amazing book. I've read it. Uh, definitely get it. If you're in sales business or you just want to get into sales, this is definitely the straight line system to, to selling. Um, so the book is called The Shortcut to Sales and Marketing. Tracy, where can people sort of find you and follow you uh, online as well? Yeah, so I have a knowledge company. Um, it's build-me.com. So B-I-L-D, my last name, dash M-E.com. And it's it's all about really mentoring and educating people. 
um, on business hacks, tips, just like we talked today. And on Instagram, it's buildmeco, B-I-L-D-M-E-C-O. And I'm doing, um, that. that's like the, a new launch startup for me. And it's been very interesting. We talk about content, but it's all content. Um, really just kind of giving back and teaching these techniques and these hacks and these tips to people who aren't working smart. Um, so it's a lot of fun. So there's a couple free courses they can take on there. They can just follow and learn. I do a lot of scripting and wording and my social media on Instagram at Build Me Co. So that's probably the best place for general businesses and salespeople to, to connect with me. Yeah, awesome. And the podcast is coming out soon, I see. And I am in love with your bookshelf. On, I'm on the website now. I have this book. I've got every book on here. You and I are lying. I always say there's like probably $250,000 of knowledge up here just working on my brain. And I know you too. And well, oh, I, stuffed, I, I, I stuffed up once a couple of years ago. I thought I'd give my books away. So I gave like oh. all my hundreds of books away overseas and it cost me like 30 bucks. It was disgusting. It cost me thousands. Then I was like, I really want those books back. So I was trying. Anyway, Ooh. don't give your books away. They're, they're treasures. Now, Tracy, thank you for coming on. And yeah, good luck in the next step of your journey as well. So uh, build uh, slash me. It's great. Business knowledge yeah. in one click. I'll check it out and uh, I'll put the links in the show notes as well. It's so my audience. Yeah, go follow Tracy. Check her out. She knows her stuff so if you like what you heard and watch today uh definitely check out the book as well but yeah enjoy the rest of your day and uh thank you for being a guest on the best book bits podcast thank you for fun. i appreciate it all right no worries at all thanks tracy